Okay, welcome to the Frame of Flower podcast. I am joined by Aram, Aaron Labsansky. Did I say that right, last name? Yeah. Yep. I always mess that up. It's Larry, Aaron Labhansky, right? Labsansky. Yes, there we go. And so I've known you, Aaron, for a little bit of time now. I knew you initially as a grower um, for Gardens of Cascadia and a couple other companies. And now you are the manager at Dancing Gypsies or? Yeah, Dancing Gypsies in Bellingham. Hell yeah. So you kind of got a f- pretty good uh, view of the whole situation. You've seen um, the growing side, the back side. You've seen, now you've seen the front side and you're managing a retail yeah. uh, store. So that's, so that's super awesome. Um, so let's just jump right into it. So... How slash why did you start uh, working in the cannabis industry? Uh, how did you get in the cannabis industry? Maybe talk a little bit about your education. I think that's super interesting, that whole background there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was getting my bachelor's degree in research biology at Gonzaga when Washington State went recreational, or at least passed, passed the laws to in, in, initiate recreational cannabis. And at the time I was doing, um, Rose genetic modification. And I thought to myself, cause I really like to do things that nobody else is doing, um, that I would go into genetic modification of cannabis. So that's when I decided to start pursuing a career in cannabis specifically. So from there I finished my degree and I went on to get my master's degree in horticulture and landscape architecture from Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I studied um, rhizosphere biology. So I studied the very intense interaction between the roots and the microbes that are living there. And I wrote a paper on soil memory, which is basically the concept that Over time, the microbial community in the soil can learn how to best suit the plants that are growing there. So when we're doing a living soil kind of scenario, um, those microbes, their community can shift to be the most productive. Um, They can shift to be good at defense. They can shift to be basically passed down to progeny. So the the plants that come next. Mm -hmm. Um, That was really, really cool. That was my first publication. Um, and yeah, then, actually, I never do that about so living soil. I knew yeah. I knew that you it's 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 a pretty uh, efficient system, right? You you kind of let the the earth grow into itself, if I guess to, to simplify like that. Yeah. But it's an adaptable model. I didn't know I didn't know specifically the microbes adapting though to that. Yeah. The same. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool research done over in the Netherlands and um, places along those lines who are really advanced in agriculture um, that show even like really unhealthy fields if you continue to monocrop if you continue to replace with the same species over and over and over again you can bring back that microbial community to a beneficial microbial community even if it was very diseased and make Um, it fertile potentially yeah yeah exactly so it's just i think um the issue is that we 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 focus a lot on nutrients And so we like to do crop rotations to preserve nutrients, which, you know, in theory is really a good practice. It's sustainable. It makes sense. 
but um, for the microbial community, which co-evolved with plants, it's not good to all of a sudden, you know, you're growing corn one day and then the next day you're growing potatoes. It doesn't make sense to the microbes. Yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. So I don't know if you want to talk about this either, um, but didn't, was there something with cocaine synthesis or? Oh like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I remember that sticking out. I was like. Yeah. So my, uh, basically I got into biology because I really think that cell differentiation is the coolest thing mm-hmm. that there is. There's, that's the other reason that I'm into genetic modification and um, basically plant cells are pluripotent which means that depending on what signals you give to them they can become any part of the plant and serve any function um and so what i was helping my advisor marianne poxleitner shout out um, (laughs) study was whether or not the basically the gene for cocaine synthesis uh, was localized in a certain tissue or um, if it could be moved around if we could like figure out which specific gene it was in this pathway there was a lot more that i didn't understand at the time because my understanding of genetics was really basic at the time but it was very very fun research we got to use a lot of really cool um microscopes like scanning electron microscopes and things like that um yeah it was really fun that was yeah but we had a bunch of coca plants in gonzaga's greenhouse that's pretty cool from cocaine to marijuana yeah i I love drugs man (laughs) that's a good transition i think it's better that way yeah Mm -hmm. very interesting (laughs) um okay so let's jump into the because I remember, I think when I first met you, or I heard of you, you were the one of the head growers at uh, the Gardens of Cascadia, right? Did yeah. I say that right? Cascadia Gardens, I always mix it up. It's, I, they accept both, I guess. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, um, oh, yeah. So when I was at Colorado State, I was still talking to my friend back here, who was the director of production at Gardens of Cascadia, or Cascadia Gardens. Um, my friend Tyler, who's actually one of my oldest friends from high school. Um, and he was telling me about his garden and about all the things he was doing. And I told him that I wanted to genetically modify weed. And he was like, come back, come to Washington, um, work for me. And so very first day I interviewed with him and uh, he took me out to the greenhouses that they were managing and there were like 14 foot tall Dutch treat. And I until then had only seen like tiny closet plants (laughs) and it just blew my mind. I had no idea. And here I am like wearing slacks and like a blouse and he's wearing like (laughs) basketball shorts and a (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, it was just so casual for him. And I was just, my mind was blown. Um, and the very next day I was destocking and harvesting those plants. So that's what's that's up. Like, yeah. And then think, quick question. Do you, think that, do you think that the cannabis industry, you, cannabis industry made you a little bit less formal? Like, I think when I was younger, like I took things a lot more professional. I mean, not, not to say that we don't take it professionally, but I don't know, like a tire. I'm more, a little more laid back. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Do you you get that sense or? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because when I left Colorado, I was uh, a professor. Like I was teaching at Colorado State when I left to come over here and, and do cannabis stuff. 
and I had gotten rid of all my grubby clothes because now I was a teacher. And so I needed slacks and blouses and all that stuff. And then I came back to, into cannabis and I was like, damn, I have to go to Value Village and right find that. clothes. Yeah, go, go find <laughs> Just to go to work. Yeah. yeah. But even, you know, even like our formal events or even like our conferences and things like that, people look at me kind of funny when I wear a polo or, <laughs> you know, a collar it's, shirt of any kind. I mean, my bad, blouses yeah. have bugs on them for goodness sakes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, but that, yeah, I like, that. I know you mean though. I know what you mean. I'll, I'll show up to, I'll be in another, like, I'll be in some, some sort of, you know, business or another industry that I, that I was working in. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, it's, um, you know, they hate you. They hate you when you're not, you know, dressed in formal outside <laughs> yeah. the industry. And they hate you if you, you're dressed in formal inside the industry. So yeah. Yeah. You're going to win that way. Yeah. No, that's just a super, I've just noticed that a lot. I, I think also Bellingham might be a little bit Excuse. more laid back, even more so. But yeah, absolutely. There was a girl who came in because of COVID and we are, have a Whatcom County mask requirement now. And her mask was leather, but it had like a zipper mouth <laughs> and I was like I don't think that that is the purpose of the mask yeah no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I guess she was like I mean if you're gonna make me wear a mask I'm gonna wear what I want to wear I feel gonna, it I, like, yeah do you girl okay. <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah I mean hey it's utility right you, yeah I feel that I feel that um okay so What are the big differences you're seeing right now, I guess, between managing a retail and managing a grow? I know there's probably a lot more interpersonal relations going. I mean, you have to like, you know, more, you know, you're talking to customers. You're not more so kind of behind the scenes. Um, but any like major contrast that, that really stick out to you? Um, you know, when I was managing uh, the, the garden back at Cascadia, I didn't really fully grasp uh, how hard it is to pick the right strains, to have the right timing. You know, it's like great to have a diverse menu, um, but if your diversity in your menu is is coming from strains that everybody has, it's not really diversity. And it's um, maybe right? a little bit more uptake. Uh, sorry, say that again. A little bit more work maybe too to up to keep is oh. that the case or well no i mean from a retailer perspective it's great that you have 10 strains but if they're the same 10 strains that my other uh distributor has then it doesn't do me any good i don't need four different gorilla glue cuts on my shelf because i'm gonna have to a explain to the customer why i have four different gorilla glues and b that's four of the same profile like four of the same experience that really limits my ability to show the customer, you know, the, a diverse option of, of products to choose from. So yeah, maybe my eighths range from $50 down to $30 of Gorilla Glue, but like it really, it doesn't do me any justice, I guess. So when I was a grower, I used to be upset that like, I couldn't just grow a hundred pounds of the Jack, you know, cause it was good. And cause it yielded really high, but Nobody needs a hundred pounds of Jack Herrera on their shelves. No. <laughs> so, no. so, so it makes so, sense, right? So we so kind of like I think I think that's so interesting because it's like you're you're now, you know, looking at the other other side of things when you were a grower, you know, you now you see that the reason why they didn't, you know, retailers don't do that. Mm -hmm. So recommendation wise for a brand, would you say 
you want to have a lot of diverse strains, some exotic strains, or what's like a recommendation if you could just like put together a little coalition of, of the different yeah. types of strains, different, you know, just, yeah, throw some out there. Yeah, yeah, I would say that 50% of your genetics should be shifting. I would say that like bring me a menu that, that shifts around whether or not you're like sourcing clones or, you know, you're actually germinating seeds or uh, whatever it is. But I'd love to see like, 25% of the strains that everybody knows, like Acapulco Gold, Jack Herrera, things like that. That Classics, OGs. Classics, yeah. yeah. Any bud tender knows what that tastes like. Any bud tender like, can tell you, oh, this is a good sativa, this, this is a good indica, you know, things like that. Things that are very easy. And then the rest of your menu, like maybe you have some, at Cascadia, we call them the four horsemen. They were the strains that like carried our brand. So like the bear. That's one that nobody else had, but was like very linked to the, the brand of the company. And so I always want to have that on the menu. And then the other 50% is like, okay, throw me in a black mamba or throw me in. What did I just see? Oh, Zaz has a crazy uh, mimosa cross that is not the same mimosa cross as everybody else's mimosa cross. So that's pretty cool. <sighs> yeah. Um, Cloud nine has some weird strains right now uh slimer their slimer is crazy it's kind of like a, like a green crack yeah it's good, Ooh, that's it's good. Awesome. so so you're saying a little bit of you want to have some familiarity right i guess mm -hmm. for the bud tenders like the yeah. classics that people love and then yeah. you also you kind of just want to get be different step away from the pack just another way to separate yourself right yeah yeah and and then the rest is just keep it kind of you know, keep the stream flowing. You want to keep some fresh water coming in, fresh streams coming in. Mm -hmm. and do that. Too. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, like I said, I don't need to carry four different Gorilla Glue cuts on the shelf. I don't need to. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but also, to. if you have a, like a strain like Bear, I want to be able to carry the Bear every once in a while because it has name recognition, even though it is just your strain. Let me ask you this, too. One thing that always blew my mind is, is, I mean, back in the day, I, you know, I was selling a little weed here and there, right? And, and the, whole, the whole old school trick is like, oh, yeah, we got like five strains. Yeah. We had one strain, two strains, and we just, you know. I used just to, I used to when I wholesale people back when I was like younger, they'd ask me, oh, what is this? I'm like, dude, it's whatever you want, man. Yeah. I, don't, I got so sick of it at the end. Yeah. So just to kind of digress back to my question is, why do you think strains hold so, like the name, like the way it sounds, like the fruity, exotic mimosa dosa or i don't know like it's yeah i don't i know it's a complicated issue i'm just do you have any like points you could think of like that i just i just find it super interesting it's not too complicated right because the, it's basically playing into your subconscious colors play into your subconscious so if there's a color in the name like that is pulling on something if it's red you have you have an emotional connection to that color red if it's green you have an emotional connection to that color green same thing with packaging right but then even more so, people don't actually like change. Change is uncomfortable. And so if they recognize something, they're like, oh, papaya. Like, I've had a papaya. I enjoy papayas. So, of course, they're going to buy something that they, like, feel comfortable with. If you come at me with, I mean, purple cat piss, like, old, old school people know that that's a good strain. But I, if I put that in front of somebody who's a new smoker, they, they go, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, no. <laughs> We have some we have some special fertilizer. Some uh, yeah, they're like, why is it called that? <laughs> That's actually a pretty simple way to put it. I 
yeah. it makes that makes complete. I mean, that's the logical thing to think, but that is that's one of the simplest ways I've had it kind of explained to me is is I think naturally how they form. I, yeah. So and I there's like there's a study done, and I can't wait till this happens for the cannabis industry, but uh, like songs that had colors in the chorus were like 40% or something, some ridiculous percentage more likely yeah. to succeed. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of money going into the future of like specifically how are we going to figure out this strain? Like yeah. you know, the whole cliche of stoners talking about like, Oh, like what should we name the strain dude? It's going to be like yeah. scientists and they're all going to be, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be. Well, and I hope, I hope with so, there, like, you know, nomenclature, scientific nomenclature was developed because we all spoke these different languages, but we were all take, talking about the same plant. So like, you know, I call a rose a rose, it's a different like culture calls a rose something else. We need to have a standard nomenclature for identifying things. I think it really needs to be standardized for naming cannabis. I don't really care how we standardize it, but I hate when I get a strain that is like, clearly secret diesel like i know what no, secret, yeah. you know sour that's diesel totally sour crazy. diesel that's yeah and then, then we were calling it secret diesel or we're calling it citrus diesel or we're calling it that's like no it's sour diesel okay i've been <laughs> at meetings and i've and we've been like and just like not a, not not a company that i'm associated with with at all it's just this, this yeah. is one of the funniest memories i remember having of this but like sitting around a table and we're just like, so what are we going to rename these straight? This is one of the, like early on for me kind of. And, and it was just like, wait, this is the process. Yeah. Like I thought there was way more science. I, I, no, there's no verification. There's no centralized system. No. And it's hard to trust things. So if people yeah. tell me, Oh, you know, I have this strain. I'm most like, people that know their shit are probably going to be like, that is absolute bullshit. Like or, yeah. how are you going to prove it? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, it's going to come down to genetics. Proven? Yeah. We're going to have to start running. I mean, it does not cost a lot of money to do a full genetic sequence anymore. If we pick certain markers or whatever that we tested for, it was like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's what I'll do next is develop a scientific nomenclature for cannabis. <laughs> You'd be a very popular woman for sure. That'd be cool. I bet that'd be very cool. Have you seen any systems that are, I know, I know, is, I believe, isn't House of Cultivar, they were working on a program like that to verify genetics or to have some sort of... Hmm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know enough. And yeah, if no, anybody's but, doing it, I assume it'd be like Phylos or, you know, uh, one of the tissue culture facilities or any of those people. I bet they're, they're probably working on something like that. Yeah. That'd be my speculation. Yeah. But I, I also think too, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I do think that we got to be careful with like if a private company develops a verified, they're gonna have a lot of power. Like, mm -hmm. So oh, yeah. that, that'll be interesting to see like unfold. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's just going to be similar to the whole tested with confidence seal. It'll probably be a similar, it'll be a, you know, genetically verified with so-and-so. Yeah. The, sh the state should just pay for the testing uh, program, in my opinion. I don't know. Just simplify it. So, like, I know government is quote unquote, you know, bureaucratic, you know, red tape and all that shit. Yeah. But like, yeah. Dude, it's yeah, it's it's not it's not reliable. I'm no offense to anybody out there with their like their testing labs because there there are some amazing ones out there. But mm -hmm. I know companies they'll they'll use test results from like almost a decade ago. I'm like no, but like four or five years ago. It's just like yeah. Anyway, yeah. 
a lot of regulation needed. There's corruption everywhere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so throw out some of your favorite cannabis brands. Obviously, no, uh, no, no order needs to be given. No order. You want me to start? Why? Yeah, you know, number yeah. one, <laughs> number two sucks because number one's good. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, no. Just throw um, some out there and just maybe a little bit quick background. Sure. Well, I definitely like uh, um, supporting local companies. So, like Vertaloo is local to Bellingham. So, I love them. They're good people. Um, I think what they're doing is making delicious candy. So, <laughs> it's no problem with that. I have no problem selling Vertaloo products. Their Salvation Solve is really, really nice as well. Um, you have, do you have some behind you by chance to show up? Oh, uh, yeah. By the way, we forgot to say that uh, Aaron is actually doing this like at work before yeah. her before her shift. Salvation. Uh, it was apparently the Dope Cup winner in t- 2018 for Best Topical, which I believe because it's really great. I like the packaging. Looks, I'm gonna have to. Try oh, it. I know. Me too. I love amber bottles. Oh, so yeah, good. I do too. Um, what else do I like? Um. Freya, I'm a big fan of Freya. I was gonna ask Freya you about has, them. Yeah, Freya yeah, is we also tried, really We local. started trying to meet my girlfriend, and we started. We yeah. love their flower because you you put yeah. me on them, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend's Uber driver put told her about it too. We were it, it was crazy. It was like yeah, she was like, you guys got to try Freya Farm. They, they mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, their XG is really good. Um, what else do I really like by them? Mm. I don't know right now, but yeah, they're good. Their joints are, are great. I mean, it's just like a simple packaging and that gets me off. And then, uh, two half gram joints in one little pack. Perfect. I don't, I don't smoke a whole joint myself anyway. So I'll just have a half gram joint. It's perfect. Not anymore. <laughs> I don't smoke those anymore either. I get, I get too high. I'm turning into yeah. a man and I'm in my, I've been smoking a lot of spliffs lately, which, you know, don't, don't smoke tobacco kids. And <laughs> And it's really bad for you. It's super addictive, but like, oh yeah. Like splits though. <laughs> it used to be, it, it used to be so bad in high school. Like we would be, we would be, you know, going out to break and smoking a spliff right across the street. And yeah. we'd be like, oh, we've got tobacco. And there was, like, oh, we're out. It's like, oh, we're not smoking then. Like, <laughs> like it, it, they're so addictive, but yeah, it's a bad habit to start. And it can definitely, but if you don't want to get too high, want a little bit mm. more of a buzz. Mm fill the joint up a little bit more Mm. that's my that's my uh (laughs) that's my cup of tea yeah um flower right now zaws i love zaws um natalie's a homie and oh man refine i'm a big fan of the loud resin i don't know they had an alien apple warp i believe that was orum's cut maybe but um oh so good also it's very strange at least in my experience to find like a bright uh indica you know so like that apple flavor but an indica experience very very unique sativa's got a lot more color and Yeah. yeah yeah right like an apple apple doesn't strike me as an indica flavor basically uh, but the alien apple warp was so good and it wasn't like a punch to the face with apple. It was like a nice little, little drizzle of apple. Oh, it was so good. I definitely bought like 
three grams of it. <laughs> that's that's loud. So the company's loud resin. No, the the company is refined, but the it's their loud resin, which isn't a live resin. It's more like a sauce. It's okay. Really good. Yeah, I'm not. Terp you know, sauce I'm more bags. into like the high terp stuff rather than like dry crumbles. I agree. I like that. I like that flavor and the smells when you, oh, so, so, so good. So good. Also easier to take teeny tiny little dabs because I take itty bitty little dabs. I, I'm a baby dabber too. I'm yeah, a baby dabber. <laughs> I know all my, when I, everyone I'm in the industry, they always make fun of me because I, they're like, you want to yeah. dab? I'm like, no man, I'm going to turn into an idiot. Like, yeah. I'm going to turn into like a, yeah. Um, no, I did a photo shoot with, um, best and like western bud and all those guys and we'd been smoking like all day for the photo shoot and then they were like okay it's time for dabs and i was like no i'm so sorry like i really you guys are psychos like i, I will <laughs> you got this i am impressed but like i cannot <laughs> yeah, I, i'm getting better at just saying no and not caring but yeah peer pressure man it's, it's a little awkward during a photo shoot when you're like no i, I mean i can't i can't do any dabs right now <laughs> I know you mean. Be I'll like, cheer you on. I'll cheer you on from yeah. behind. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate. I would hate to take photos super, super hot, like in like a very like closed scene that's like very yeah. kind of more intimate. And like oh, you know, like it was very fun. Honestly, I met some really dope people during that photo shoot. But what was it for? It was for for Western it was, Bud. It Western. was Western Bud's Thanksgiving shoot. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Definitely wanted to talk about cannabis consultants. So yeah. one being obviously yourself as a consultant, definitely should shout out your, your, your consulting agency as well that uh, you started. Mm -hmm. And then I also would love for you to talk a little bit about fake consultants and like scammers because mm -hmm. they're out there for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, after I left uh, Cascadia, I was, I just started doing consulting. So I've, I've assisted on multiple applications for licenses in different states um, as part of my consulting um, because I can just do that remotely. But I've also been to a few facilities and looked at their grow situation, looked at their processing situation, looked at things like that. Um, I think that coming from a research biology background, coming from it's like I can run my own statistics. I can do basically these higher analytical um, things. I don't really know what to call them. Processes. Processes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a A and B. I have a different perspective, right? You've been looking at your processes every day since you started your company, and maybe you don't know how to make an adjustment to make it better. But I come in, I'm very uh, type A, very analytical, very structured, and very observant because of my training. And I have never looked at it before. So it's all new to me. And so I can see like, oh, well, that doesn't, that part right there doesn't make sense. Or I can save you money in these places and things like that. So that's kind of what I try to bring to consulting. Um, when so I'm doing applications. So some fresh eyes, mixing it up. Because yeah. I mean, people get, I completely agree. People get tunnel vision. Tunnel vision. You definitely want to yeah. have a, a, a professional come in and, and give you another set of eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, especially in this industry, nobody wants to be told what to do or what to do differently. Um, but there comes a point where it's like, I could save you $34,000 this year if you want. Or you can keep doing it your way. I mean, it's really up to you. 
Um, yeah. I, and I don't try. Some people will. Some much. people have that big of egos. And yeah. Like, well, you know, the thing is, uh, they think, I think often they think that a consultant's going to come in and change, uh, drastically their company. And I would never do that. I want to respect like the vision that you had when you started your company. What is it that you're really valuing? Like free rain farms, for example, they really value recycling their water and recycling their soil. Would I ever come in and say like, it's time to switch soils? You know, it's time to start using different water. No, that's, that's like their free rain. Why would it? No, I'm not going to do that. Um, maybe they would benefit from it. Maybe we can change some other things that would do them equal benefit basically. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's super interesting because I've seen other, um, you know, like I've seen, I've seen, I've seen different types of ownership styles for cannabis companies. I've seen people like heavily involved too yeah. overly involved, like, yep. like micromanaging people. And it was just really inefficient. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people that, you know, are way hands off and, and whatever, but I've seen, I've, I've literally seen times where consultants I've seen, I mean, I've seen you do as well. But I've seen, you know, consultants come in and actually make a super big difference, like a very dramatic, like, and, and just helping just tweak something, help them pivot, you know, open their yeah. eyes. I think that's a really good point that you made. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, I'm also very knowledgeable about the rules and regulations and L&I regulations and things that, you know, people don't generally put a time of a ton of time and effort into. I've sat down and read, you know about for some unknown reason i'm just one of those people nerd, <laughs> I'm <kind> of nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so have you heard many stories of people getting like it's like a lot of times there's a rich guy a rich woman that's like oh we want to get into cannabis and we want to do this yeah. so let's go and we but we have no idea what we're doing so obviously the smart thing to do is to get somebody that knows what they're doing so they bring in a consultant that, you know, they don't, the, the people paying the consultant don't realize how to put other checks and balances in, into that, into that relationship. Mm -hmm. And a year later, they're 200 grand out or what, you know what I mean? Like I've heard the horror yeah. stories. I mean, what are ways, I guess, to combat that? And, and if you've heard of any examples of this happening? Yeah, I think a lot of consultants out there think that they are way more valuable than they really are, uh, which is great. You know, like sell yourself, but I'm not paying you two grand for an hour. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, maybe I'm humble. I don't, I mean, I think I am a balance of humility and, and hubris for sure, but. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've seen it, I, but hey, you know, you'd be like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about, motherfucker. Like. That's I, what's hard. You gotta, you gotta yeah. You do. Yeah, I, I definitely try. I need to work on more humility. I know that that is the case, but we all do. We all do. Um, yeah, yeah, we're all growing. Um, yeah, and I think like these large companies, uh, like if you search cannabis consultant, you'll find like Canna Advisors. You'll find uh, these big, giant, multi-state companies um, that have partnerships with specific distributors for a specific thing. So like every single one of your facilities is gonna be outfitted with Quest dehumidifiers. Is Quest dehumidifier like the best brand? Should you be using Andin? Should you be, you know, it really depends. Uh, lights are the other big thing. Like, oh, are we all gonna be running Fluence? Are we all gonna be running Gavitas? Like what is, what is that? And so when you go to these major, major consulting companies, they're locked in with contracts to specific products. Um, that's part of the reason they have lower costs for sure. But 
do you know the difference? Are they going to explain the difference? Uh, are you really going to have a facility that you envisioned or are you going to have a cookie cutter facility? Are we just going to start creating the housing complexes of the cannabis world, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great point though about the, um, the products that they're, you know, some of these bigger cons uh, consulting uh, firms have is that they have specific contracts to promote a specific product. Does not matter if it's better for the, uh, the, um, well, better client, for the consumer right? or the client, yeah. right? Yeah. Like is, is, is really like a synthetic nutrient better for the consumer or is an organic nutrient better for the consumer? Is there an IPM regimen that has the consumer in mind or is this an IPM regimen that is cheap or makes them money? Makes them money. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So and I think people, finding a consultant then is right. You want to have people that are not in a lot of those contractual deals. They want to have people that are end result, right? And, mm -hmm. and the actual, uh, you know, showing what the actual improvement to the overall company is. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And Hell people yeah. will show you the options and be honest with you about the options. Yeah, honesty, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so one thing I, I definitely want to talk about is what do you think about, I think it's getting a little bit better the more developed markets but what do you think about cannabis companies cycling employees a lot? You've seen, you noticed that like a lot. And, yeah. and I, and I think there's a lot of times where people, you know, they met, they make a, a financial wrong you know, mistake. And so they have to fire people. But I think there's also companies out there that are a little slimier and that are just cycling people out once they get benefits mm -hmm. right before yeah. they get benefits, you know? Well, yeah. Um, no, it's interesting because now I've seen it from two different angles, right? So I've seen the cycling through employees on the producer processor side, and I've seen the cycling through employees on the retail side. And to oversimplify it, obviously, I would say that it's just the, it's the product of this being such a new industry and being controlled by such young people. Um, I mean, cannabis companies are owned by people in their 30s most of the time. Do they have any management experience? Not substantial management experience. Definitely not in production or in manufacturing most of the time. Um, you know, some of them don't have high school degrees even, which is great. This is very an inclusive, uh, you know, field to work in because you come here and, I mean, head growers have been growing in their garage for 20 years and that's their credentials. Not like, you know, I have a master's degree. That's not a substantial credential in this, in this uh, industry, which is very interesting. But the, the result is, you know, managers <laughs> not knowing how to manage, not taking classes, you know, at Whatcom. Have you ever heard of a company like promoting their manager by giving them continuing education for management? No, you have to go do that yourself. Um, I, yeah, uh, people don't, people think they know that they can do everything. My, my consulting company, I know I don't do accounting. I hired an accountant. I'm not going to try and do my accounting. You need to like consider those things. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, yeah. So I think it is just new don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity, right? That is just the synopsis of this industry. I, I think that's a great <laughs> way to put it. I think people need to, yeah, it's not as, yeah. 
people like to think. I think there might be a little bit of that, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, I think that's a great way to put it. A little bit more stupidity, a little bit more just newer industry, right? We're all learning. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, we're all, very I, well mean, I bet, I don't know. I haven't seen the, the analytics on it, but I bet the average age of people in this industry, even at like the C-suite, uh, pretty low. Like yeah, I, I think it's 25 to 35 around there, I guess, around that, that yeah. age group. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and especially, too, if you start factoring bud tenders and things like that. Um, and, you know, it's that's another product or, or another reason for turnover is you're hiring 21-year-olds who love to smoke weed who then realize that, like, trimming is not a career, you know, and they're like, maybe they're going to school, they're going to school, and then um, – they realize that okay now they have this degree they don't need to weed anymore <laughs> it's I mean, not I'm that fun of a job guys it's not <laughs> no, 100%, 100%. so how much yeah, more time do we have real quick i just want to make sure we got 10 more minutes five more five, five more minutes, minutes. Okay. yeah perfect yeah. perfect five maybe 10 we'll see if emily will let me do 10. okay sweet yeah i can awesome, do 10. Awesome. thanks emily um <laughs> Okay, real quick. So, are you are you um, are you a buying manager there um, right now for Gypsy Greens, or do you help out with that? I mean, or is it just more? So, all Dancing Gypsies is not a chain. Dancing Gypsies is owned by um, a husband and wife who are great, Jeremy and Evo. And Jeremy has loved weed for his entire life, so he does all the buying, which is actually great because everything in here um, he's personally tried. He thinks it's going to be good for his customers that he has a very close relationship with it's insane like the number of people come in and ask hey is jeremy here or like jeremy knows everybody my name it's i love really that great. by the way that's awesome yeah it's really really cool it's very community um very consumer focused like we're going to carry things that people want not carry things that you know they gave us a ton of backpacks or stickers. Yeah, loyalties or with you're caring, you're caring about the yeah. consumer, and that that's definitely the right right move yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. So, I guess in terms of what I would, for for a cannabis brand, what what do you recommend? How do cannabis brands woo retail people like yourself? <laughs> yeah. Any, any recommendations? Any any special sauce? Any special formula? Or is it just yeah. No. I mean, I can tell you what flies like no problem. Uh, scored. I have, I have the hardest time keeping scored on the shelf. Not that I would try to keep people from buying scored, but I mean, you think about it, it's because you can see everything in this jar super easily. You know everything about it just based on the top sticker. Like what is the name? When do I smoke it? What's the genetic history? All that stuff. Um, it's got cute colors that match the strain names, right? They're just playing into the subconscious again. And then, you know, um, there's other, there's other ways. Like, can we come <laughs> in and bribe you guys or can we, what now? Can we come in and bribe you guys? No, I'm, I'm making a joke. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can only wear so many t-shirts. <laughs> I love t-shirts. I literally could only wear so many t-shirts. I probably has like, what now? Oh yeah, Emily's like, I'll take t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, all day. That's swag, baby. <laughs> That's swag. That's no, swag. But, I mean, to a degree, for sure. You can, you could. I mean, yeah, you can buy a bunch of unders, but uh, 
Is Does it happen at all? Do you, do you think bartenders get like, have you, I, I've heard of it happening before, people like getting a direct money payment for pushing their brand, right? Yeah, I've heard of more products pushing, like, oh, come out to the car and like, we'll give you jar joints or whatever it is. Um, if it's not good though, my consumers or my customer is not going to come back and buy it again. So not what worth it. You, yeah, it's like you're only getting new, you're, you're, I mean, you will up your conversion, like you will convert probably more customers because you have that button or just pushing it every time pushing it to every person but i if it's not a good product you're they're not going to come back for it so it's, it's a cost benefit analysis like is it it's going to cost you five grand to drop all that swag you know at the store or whatever it is are you going to convert five grand of that back into your pocket or not you know really depends absolutely, absolutely. always dan consumer for sure very well said um Okay, well, how much more time, Emily? How much more time do we have? Five more minutes. <laughs> Five more minutes. Thanks, Emily. You're the best. <laughs> I need more. I need more watch minutes. So we're trying to we're trying to lengthen it out a little bit. Plus, yeah. we might need to do a part two as well because it was yeah. uh, a little bit shorter than I'd like. But it this is yeah. awesome. Um, okay, I mean. I, I, okay, real quick, I guess we'll do another interview or we'll do another interview slash podcast. Yeah, but um, do you think in general, like, what do you think the state of the Washington State black market is, if you have any knowledge of that? I would be very interested. I always like to ask everyone that. So, um, and it could uh, be nothing, it could be, I, you know, whatever you feel yeah. comfortable with or whatever you know. Um, right now I know the black market is pretty dry. I know that people are definitely looking, um, probably honestly comparable prices to wholesale prices in I-502, which is, I'm sure very tempting for companies to just start diverting, which is terrible, but there's also a drastic shortage in I-502 right now. So, um, really interesting. I don't know what the average price per pound is in I-502. Um, but I know that there's a shortage of pretty much everything. Yeah, um, yeah. right now is like $1.75 to 250 for the really yeah. high end for indoor wholesale. Yeah. That's, really, that's really good, yeah. So, um, but I mean, it's funny because since REC is this option, I think that the black market has really it's now asking for more strain diversity. It's not like people are definitely more um, knowledgeable about the product they're buying, regardless of who they're getting it from. Uh, so there's that additional barrier, I think, but I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. It's I-503, right? That's what some people I think you guys, you guys did a great job of uh, not saying you guys, but just yeah. the, the, the rec industry did a great job of, I think, um, not, I don't want to say squashing the black industry. That sounds really bad, but like more yeah. so help easing it out. Yeah. I and think it's phasing out. Yeah. yeah it's definitely like, but like, you know, for example, though, like with California, mm. they have raging. Yeah. It's raging down there. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Know, there's stores that are out. There's like, there's like, you know, black market dealers that are outselling like some of the best, recreational stores in Cali. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like they're just like 
licensed facilities in California are just growing mids and like that's why they're not you know you know sorry not to bring no, they're growing mids down there they're growing sure. mids down California, there yeah. Washington weed baby Let's <laughs> go. I think Represent. Like, I had some really good outdoor when I was down there but at pretty much everything I looked at in the bottle I was like I don't I mean I'm not gonna pay the price you're asking for for this that's crazy so I know we're spoiled up here a little bit. It's, yeah, I think we're a little spoiled. Yeah. yeah. I think people got to realize that. Yeah. We, they always say, Oh, Cali weed. Cali. What about Washington weed? Yeah. What about yeah. us? Right? Yeah, we know how to grow in the rain though. <laughs> I've heard a lot of growers talk so much shit about the, the humble growers being like, I'm sorry. Actually, no, not the humble grower, growers. Um, I guess maybe the, the, the so-called growers that, are, that have a way easier time. Yeah. You don't have to it, like the, the environment is like perfect for growing weed. Yeah. Growing yeah. like weed out in Eastern Washington though. Mm. Tough. Or growing weed mm. anywhere in the rain. Yeah. All that in the way. rain. Yeah. I had an outdoor up here that just melted. Just, yeah. it started getting, it just went to crap. But uh, I'm trying to figure out how to grow weed in Jamaica. That's going to be my next thing. That'd be so cool. My friend got, <laughs> my friend's dad got hired by the Jamaican government to help set up their, uh, recreational or their their legalized market yeah because they have export they have export laws so they can start shipping it so they're going to be a big producer yeah they will i think weed tourism is going to be crazy there though for sure oh yeah Mm -hmm. hell yeah well i'm gonna let you go thank you so much for your time aaron labsansky lapansky or i'm sorry i'm okay ready i'll show you the like the hand moves like can you see me hold on i'm ready i can see you Okay, right. It's lap, lap, stand like on the beach, and then ski like down the mountain. <laughs> that I have, I have a friend named Michael Ketchkowski, and that's how he taught me similar. He did the whole catch, cough, ski. Yeah. Love that. Oh, cute puppy. Can you say hi? Say hi. Ooh, oh, don't kiss me. What's his name or her name? This is Renly Baratheon, the one true king. Uh... The Baratheon, the real, the real king. Hell yeah. Okay, Aaron, thank you so much. This is the Frame of Flower podcast. We're going to have probably another episode with Aaron because it's super interesting and she's got to go work. But shout out to you, Aaron. (laughs) Shout out to Dancing Gypsies. Shout out to Washington Cannabis. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much. Bye. Peace.